Welcome to the sermon podcast of PLE Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Steve Krentel. A lot of people think that uh, photo... Uh, would probably, in our culture, in some parts of our society, would say that is the quintessential Thanksgiving holiday. Everyone's smiling, huge turkey. Just seems like everybody's having a really good time. I don't know about you, but it's been about 15 years since I've even experienced that. I don't say that with a joke, but as a reality that oftentimes we kind of think, That's what the holiday should be like. Everybody sitting, everybody laughing, everybody filled and happy, and no difficulties. And as I thought about that, and why would I pick such a very challenging subject like suffering in between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Because I think sometimes there's a setup. And before I do that, let me just uh, have a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? God, we know that you love us. Uh, We know that you know us. We know that you strengthen us. As that verse was on the screen in the beginning of our service, that you will strengthen us with your righteous right hand. And so, Father, I, as the one standing behind this pulpit, Lord, have the responsibility to reveal your word. And without your Holy Spirit, I can't do that. So I ask that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there a chance we could close some of those doors? Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. So so I thought about this setup where we look at the picture and, and then we look at the reality in our life. The setup creates problems for us. And so I began to think through this and did a little bit of uh, research on what people... Uh, whether reality matched what people were thinking. And the first place I looked at were holiday songs. Surprisingly, many touch on the theme of sadness and loss. In fact, they have like the top 65 songs that are sad. I mean, think about that. There's a genre of, of sad music out there. We all perhaps remember, some of the older folks here, remember Judy Garland's song uh, with... Uh, Oh, please come home for or have yourself a Merry Christmas. And the one, one, one line in it is, um, we all have to muddle through somehow. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a happy lyric there. And then I came across this one <clears throat> that I was kind of shocked, surprisingly, to, to see and um, talk to Barry and see if we could pull this up for you. But it's the king who's singing a blue, blue Christmas. Let's watch. I just saw Heather swoon into Bill's arms. <laughs> and the guys 
No, she said, I wasn't doing that. But I think uh, next week, actually, or during the break, perhaps, uh, Will is going to do his best imitation of Elvis. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> That's right, when you get assigned the task. <clears throat> but, you know, it's true. I can remember when I was about 16, 17 years old, and the love of my life, she broke up with me. And I was crushed. I was like, oh, what? You know, this is it. And it was right around the holidays. And, and I can still to this day remember that pain. You'd walk around. There's nothing you could do. You just knew that pain was gnawing at you, that pain of rejection. Memories sometimes come. We sit down and we're getting ready to open a present or we look at a tree and then all of a sudden the floodgates of difficult things come back when we don't want them to come back. Children who won't speak to their parents, adult children who won't speak to their parents, parents who won't speak to their children, lingering illnesses that cloud that day or those days leading up to and in between. I also read on the internet about the topic of mental health issues associated with the holidays. And I want to be very careful here that I am not a uh, mental health expert. I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. So what I'm sharing here is from my heart. I'm not trying to simplify anything because this is a very complicated subject that we're talking about. But in a cursory review, I found several things. One, you click on the word grief, let's just say. Uh, and you'll find all kinds of useful resources that are available to you. Um, I find that when I went through a loss of my mom probably 11 years ago and a divorce that began about two years after that, I was sitting there at my kitchen table one morning and I just Googled the word grief and came up with all kinds of opportunities for me to begin to process. went to a place called Divorce Care, which was very helpful uh, to help me begin to regain my footing emotionally and spiritually. Uh, so it's incredible what the resources are out there, but it also represents that the setup isn't necessarily something that just people are having bad luck. It's a difficult time of the year. One of the statistics I thought was the National Alliance of Mental Health reports that 64% of people with mental health issues report the holidays make their conditions worse. There are many shoulds about families. Holidays should be this, holidays should be that. Holidays should, uh, people should love each other at the holidays. People should have fun. And quite often it's the opposite. Perhaps it isn't the most wonderful time of the year. And then to add to that swirl of heartache and hopelessness is a theological, a pseudo theological trap that's set up for us as Christians. I grew up hearing that if I followed Jesus, <clears throat> my life would be wonderful. I would have the abundant life. And people would throw in verses like Romans 8:28, or all things work together for good, Steve, you know that. <laughs> and, um, and then someone would pull out an Old Testament extract from Jeremiah and say, you know, um, God has wonderful plans for you. And in my 30s and 40s, I'm thinking, uh, I'd like to have a conversation with you, God, about some of these plans you're rolling out my way, because they're not working very good for me. <clears throat> Sometimes they'd give you a book on 
three easy lessons in how to be successful as a Christian. Here's three steps to be living a Bennett, you know, a full life. And that would end up somewhere in the trash can. Ripping verses out of context, like saying something like, all things work together for good, <clears throat> is kind of like taking a meal and preparing it with all the varieties of vegetables and stuffings and whatnot, and putting it in front of a hungry child, and saying at the very end as the child begins to salivate and gets ready to eat and says, I'm sorry, that meal isn't for you. Ripping verses out of context is not a good idea. The Bible wasn't written with post-it note verses. But rather, if you read Romans chapter 8, 39 verses surround Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who are called by God, and so on. Think about Jeremiah, the verse that I shared earlier, that God has wonderful plans. Well, if you realize it, Jeremiah, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the moniker for Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. <laughs> the weeping prophet wrote that verse in Jeremiah tw chapter 29. Jeremiah was a prophet. His job was to go and tell Israel what was the deal with God. And he got thrown in jail sometimes. He got thrown into a pit. In fact, he wrote the book of Lamentations, which the first three chapters of that book reveal the struggle that Jeremiah had in fulfilling what God asked him to do. Now, when you put all that in context, then God still does have wonderful plans for our life, but they're sometimes different than how what we think they might be, and we struggle with that. Think about the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. Anybody want to guess where he wrote some of that? In prison. Now, how would you like to write books in prison? Most people who write books go off to some kind of cottage somewhere in Vermont. <laughs> now, if you're going to go to prison... We would like you to write a good book. It's going to be people, books that are re read forever. Not only uh, is a Romans 8.28, and when it's uh, cut short, it's bad medicine for the troubled soul. It's bad theology. It's not good to do that. So what was the motivation for me to take this sermon on? Um, because my heart breaks. When I see brothers and sisters struggle, going through bitterness, thinking that somehow they were left behind the door when Jesus passed out the abundant life. And they go and say, what did I do wrong? I guess I'm just not living the godly life. Well, my goal today in this sermon is to share with you the truth of God's word to give you a clear glimpse of reality, to give you hope during times of suffering that will come. This isn't a simple sermon, but I pray my words will dislodge your thinking or the false notion that somehow following Jesus means that you're going to be immune from challenges or hardships. So let's read the scripture that's on the screen for you. In Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> let me read it for us. Beginning with verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, heirs also, heirs of God, 
fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Let's skip down to verse 26. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches the hearts, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then look at verse 35, as Paul concludes this chapter. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That one deserves an amen. <laughs> I'll give it myself. So my three points are these. Aren't you glad I didn't say I have 22 points? Because you'd all be heading for the doors. <laughs> But three points that you can see on the screen here in a second is what is suffering that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 8. Obviously, we're highlighting a few verses out of a book of 39 verses, so please forgive me if I've left out one of your favorites. What is suffering? Second point is what are the challenges or what is the challenge for us as we face suffering? And thirdly, the promise to us in suffering. So point number one, what are the phrases or what are the descriptors that Paul uses in this passage? First of all, he uses words like suffer, sufferings, anxious longings, subject to futility. The whole creation suffers, hardship, groanings too deep for words, famine, nakedness, peril, tribulation. So Paul says, we're all going to suffer. Not all of us at the same level, not all of us the same thing, but we will suffer as we follow Christ. It means it's a characteristic of believers, a key teaching that is borne out in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, that every saint in the Bible has suffered. Consider some of these saints. What about, let's start with Joseph. Joseph was doing what he was supposed to do. His brothers sold him into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house. He's doing the right things. Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. He gets thrown in prison. Didn't work out too well for the guy trying to do what God wanted. What about David, King David? As soon as he was anointed by the prophet uh, Samuel, what happened? <laughs> David's running for his life 
because Saul's trying to kill him, hiding in caves. Think about what happened to David's household when his daughter Tamar was raped by one of his brothers. What about Daniel being thrown into the lion's den? He was doing what God asked him to do. What about the book of Job? Let's skip up to the New Testament. Let's just begin with Jesus. He did what he was supposed to do, and yet he was flogged. He was beaten. He was spit upon. He was mocked. He suffered the indignity of dying on the cross. He was obedient. Even the disciples abandoned him. So, does this teaching that I'm talking about match current reality? Let's bring it up from over 2,000 years ago. I would suggest an individual can suffer with debilitating diseases, lingering back injuries, learning challenges, inability to hold a job, or a sudden loss of a job. Some of you know my parents that started a place called Melmark about 55 years ago. I had a five-month-old sister named Martha. She died when she was five months old, sudden infant death syndrome. Shortly after that, about two years, my other sister was born, Melissa, and she had Down syndrome. And those were in the days when you didn't know much about how to help someone like that find a normal way. The only solution was institutions with a thousand people. And so my parents began a place called Melmark. For us living in behind Conestoga High School down the hill, I'm hearing some tapping. Anything I can do about that, let me know. Um, that was a difficult time to, that shattered our, our American dream of living in suburbia. What about waking up in the cold, dark, no heat? You're living under the constant threat of war in such a place like the Ukraine. What about broken relationships, violations of boundaries of innocent children by adults that we hear so much of today? My goal isn't to assign where these critical matters fall in the spectrum of suffering, but rather to draw your attention to them because they affect us. They are real. They show up in our daily schedule relentlessly. So let's take a look at verse 22. You don't have to pull it up on the screen, but Romans 8:22 says this. <clears throat> For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. What does the word groan mean? Well, the French took a stab at it. The French have a phrase called gêne le sais quoi, which means we don't know how to put this in words, <laughs> but it's tough. And that's what Paul's saying. We groan. That's difficult to put into words when you're, you can't even speak because you're weeping, because the pain in your heart is too strong. Suffering isn't some aberration. It's not just because you're having a bad day. I believe it's involved with following Jesus because Jesus wants to show through our lives and glorify you as well as him that there is more to this life than just sailing along the mountaintops. Sometimes I suffer due to my own sinfulness. Sometimes I suffer when someone else sins against me through injustice. Sometimes it's a national calamity like a pandemic or a recession or a war that visits my country. Sometimes I speak a word about Jesus and I'm rejected from the in crowd. Sometimes it's because we're frail. We're nearing closer the time when the Father calls us home. So my second point is this. 
we have a challenge in suffering. Let me illustrate it this way. In 2 Kings chapter 6, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha's job was to protect the nation of Israel. And he did that in one respect by giving the battle plans of the king of Aram to the Israelites. So anytime the Arams were, Aramites were going to show up, the Israelites were nowhere to be found. <laughs> the king was getting really ticked off. He said, what is going on? He brings all his generals, lieutenants in, and he's ready to you know, shoot them. And they finally said, well, you know, the problem is there's this guy named Elisha, and he lives over here, and he's leaking your battle plans to the Israelites. He said, well, I can solve that pretty quickly. So he gathers all the chariots guys, all the guys with the spears, and they head down to where Elisha is going. They're circling his house in the valley, right? <clears throat> Before Elisha gets to his first cup of coffee, he's going to be wiped off the map. So the servant goes out in the morning to go to Starbucks, and he's, you know, brushing out the stuff out of his eyes and kind of looks up and goes, and the Hebrew doesn't record the exact translation, but something like, oh my, you know, that kind of routine. And he runs back inside and says, you're not going to believe this, but we're all houses surrounded, our valley surrounded with guys ready to kill us. And Elisha says, there are more with us than they are with them. Isn't that powerful? We believe the lie that strength is in numbers. Strength is when everything is going well. No, my friends, God is with you and with me, and he is greater than anybody else. And so the servant decides to go back outside. As he does, Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. He goes out, he looks, and comes back in and says, you're not going to believe this. But those guys surrounding them are angels. They were taken care of. Now, not every solution ends that dramatically. But it's a point, is we have an opportunity to choose to go outside. Now, again, that's not a simple solution, and that's not how I'm giving it. But I want to be able to say that we can say inside, and we can question God and instead grow angry and bitter against him, or we can go outside and see God's work to see God's hand. We can pray for wisdom as Elisha did. We can ask God, Lord, help me to see what you're doing. It's not going to happen right away. We don't have to shut out others. We need healthy relationships for input, for feedback. I meet on a regular basis with a gentleman who helps me. He coaches me in my life. When I get in a bad narrative, I need somebody who's not going to pat me on the back, but I need someone who's going to help me see God's work in my life. We need to grieve the suffering sometimes that we're going through. Not every day, not all the time, but we need to grieve what's happened that was difficult. And we need to journal that. We need to create your own psalms. The psalms of Steve, the psalms of Joe, the psalms of Sally. And I looked this up, this idea of lament. And I'll read this for you because I think it's really important. Lament is a major theme in the Bible, particularly in the book of Psalms. To, to lament is to express deep sorrow, grief, regret, 
The Psalms of Lament are beautiful poems or hymns expressing human struggles. It makes up one-third of the entire book of Psalms. Well, let's be clear about this second point. This is not simple. It's not checking the box one, two, three, four, but rather it's a process. I didn't put these in sequence. They are a process of life. My goal is not to solve it, it's to help unpack the issue of suffering and then to offer you the gracious invitation to see the Father who is grieving with us. He wants to hold you. He wants to encircle you in his arms. He is safe. He is your heavenly Father. He's not saying, what did you do that for? Why did you screw up again? No, he's saying, I understand. I'm your shepherd. I'll be with you. But if we're stuck inside in our anger and bitterness, we won't experience that embrace. But we can. This is my last point. The promise to us in suffering. As I've recounted in my own history, I have discovered that many times when I was doubting God was working, He was working. I just didn't notice it. I didn't see it. I remember when I would meet with our beloved pastor, Jeff Conway, and he would always remind me that God was there. And I said, well, I haven't read the Bible in three years <laughs> or something like that. Maybe it was three months. He said, Steve, God is with you. God is near you. That's what the incarnation is all about. The false narrative I play in my head, maybe you do the same thing at night. I start going through things. And what about that? What about that? Why did I do that? This person must think that. That person must think. That's a false narrative that populates sometimes our brains in the middle of the night. God is working in my life. He's working in your life. And we have to accept the difficulties in life and realize that the challenges, there is hope. God is there. Look at these verses. Again, you don't have them, so you're going to just have to listen to me. But in Romans 8, go back and look at that chapter later today. <clears throat> Six times it mentions the Holy Spirit. The Spirit bears witness with us that we are heirs. That's verse 16. Verse 26, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him. Verse 39, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. My last point is this, as we open our eyes to the truth of life and how we are to follow Jesus in suffering, as we identify His presence, looking for Him, we will share in His glory. This isn't being stoical. It's not trying to buck up and think about, I can make it through life. No, this is a allowing God to work through our weakness. I love the idea when it says in verse 26, I believe, it says, the Spirit Himself is praying for you. You often think, you know, you drop to your knees and you're praying to God and you're thinking you're the only one. You may be, you know, your mother's praying for you or an uncle or whatever. But the reality is, my friends, is that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. To God, He's going on your behalf. So if you're screwing it up in your prayer and you say, oh, I just don't know how to pray. No, no, no. Remember that God is praying for you for you through the Holy Spirit. He knows our weaknesses. So, here's my conclusion. I don't know if you ever run a road race. Back in the day, probably 20 years ago, I used to run over at the Upper Main Line Y. And I remember going out on the course one day, so I used to work out there, and I thought, well, I'm going to see what this looks like. And I wanted to know where the hills were. 
<laughs> so I went all the way down to the end. It's off one of these roads over here. And that's the turning point. You go down to the bottom of the hill, and then you have to go up the hill, about a half a mile it felt like. Because I wanted to know where the struggle were, where, is it, where the pain's going to be coming from. And my goal today was to help you reacquaint yourself to the reality that suffering isn't something we run from. Suffering is something we embrace. I had a friend who would say this oftentimes. He says, Steve, make a tent in front of your pain. And I thought to myself, that's really stupid. <laughs> Why would I want to make a tent in front of my pain? But his goal, his point was, is we need to find out what God's doing there. We're not going to do it by hiding under the bunk in the tent. So my prayer is that you will make a tent in whatever it is that you're dealing with today. Whatever it is that you're afraid of in the next several weeks, that you will see God there, God's presence. Psalm 23, and I'm off script here, so please forgive me. Psalm 23, one of our favorite psalms, the Lord is my shepherd. We love the green pastures, the quiet waters, but you know what the rest of that chapter says? God will prepare a table for us in the midst of our enemies. In the valley of the shadow of death, God will be there. My friends, believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to let you guys come up, and as they come, I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we'll hear them sing. Not blue, blue Christmas, I hope. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for being willing to open up your arms to encircle us with your safe and strong love. Father, we know there's many people in our congregation that are suffering. We know the Harper family just lost their, their dad. We pray for them. We pray for Jim Burke recovering from heart surgery. Lord, we pray your blessing on he and Susie. Pray for so many others listed in our bulletin that we can pray for. We ask you to give them hope that your Holy Spirit is there interpreting their groanings for you to the kingdom. We thank you that you love us in a way that we'll never understand, and you keep on loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.